Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Today's guest is Leanna. I had so much fun chatting with her. She's the author of the Amazon bestseller, Young, Fun, and Financially Free. I love the way that she makes something like investing like so simple and she just really breaks it down. So on this episode, we talk about how to start investing, how she started her career in finance, tips for managing your investments, and so much more. And if now is like a good time to start investing. So I hope you guys enjoy listening. So thank you so much, Leanna, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to learning more about you. I'd love to start at the beginning. Tell me about your story, what different career changes you've had, and how do you got to the place that you're at now? Well, thanks for having me on today, Sophia. Um, I am a Canadian girl living in New York. I've been full-time in New York for the last year or so. And um, prior to that, I've lived and worked all over the world in finance, um, London, California, uh, Vancouver, where I grew up, Toronto, where I went to school, southern France. And yeah, I've I've been all over the place. And um, I think it was six, about six years ago now, 2014, I had just moved back from London. Um, There I was doing investor relations consulting and some transactions consulting as well. So rights issues, mergers and acquisitions. And I was flying to New York, looking at California, figuring out, you know, where I wanted to have my next job, what I wanted to do next. And then I just naturally, I actually came to New York to be a finalist on The Apprentice, which is a sort of random story of my my only political connection to Donald Trump, uh, or anyone in the U.S. really, because I'm still not allowed to vote here. I'm a Canadian. (laughs) um, But after that, and... Um, I got a job offer in New York and then didn't end up working out and I just decided, you know what, maybe I'll just try doing my own thing and I naturally just started getting clients for doing marketing services and business development um, for different financial firms like hedge funds, private equity funds and things like that. Um, So it's been about six years now um, that I've been on my own. And eventually, I just made the move from the West Coast to the East Coast because of the amount of clients and the work here. I also wrote a book that came out a couple of years ago. It's called Young, Fun, and Financially Free. And it's a bestseller in multiple categories on Amazon. And 
all the proceeds of that go to the WE charity. So they build villages in third world countries and the pillar of opportunities, they have called the opportunities pillar of the organization provides economic stability and income opportunities for people in developing countries in these villages that they've built. So I decided to donate all the proceeds of the book to that. And then, yeah, so over the last two and a half years or so, since the book and all of that, I've done a lot of media in New York, TV, radio, podcasts, blogs, book reviews. And um, yeah, it was just time to make the move to the East Coast, to the big city, New York. And yeah, there's just so many opportunities here. I have a my business manager, my publicist, my agent, my every, my whole team is here in New York. So yeah, it just made more sense to be here. But I really miss where you are. I miss California, especially right now during COVID. <laughs> I miss, I miss that. But um, I found my own little beach out here too in, in Montauk. I've been spending some time in Montauk during all of this with my dog running around on the beach. So yeah, that's sort of the last... 10 years of my life, my 20s now into my early 30s. And the last six years have been really transformative going from working a full-time job in finance to now having my own firm and working for myself. And what was your experience like on The Apprentice? Um, So what happened actually was (laughs) I had just moved back from London. I guess I was probably 26 and um, I was emailing back and forth with the president of Trump Productions, and he said, okay, well, we're going to get you down to New York, um, you know, to meet with you in person, and I'd sent over sort of a reel of some of the, I'd been in, in TV and movies since I was a teenager and modeling on the side of my finance career. And so I'd sent over some of those um, clips and stuff so they could see me on TV. And then they, you know, kind of you go through the paces and they said, okay, well, come to New York. So I came to New York and it was like one of those moments in my, uh, you know, this was long before his political days, um, again, which I have, I have no public opinion on. I'm not even allowed to vote in this country, but um I, you know, he, it was just like, yep, go to the Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue and tell them that you have a meeting with Mr. Trump at 12 o'clock. And I went there and I was just like, it was one of those little girl moments where, you know, you've always seen Donald Trump on TV with all the business and all the, you know, big, I think he has a board game and like computer games. I would see as a kid and stuff about real estate and, um, building wealth in that area and it was kind of just like one of those moments I was like oh my gosh I've I have a you know my name is Leanna Hawkins I have a meeting with Mr. Trump (laughs) you know take me up the take me up the separate elevator with a security guard and to the top floor and it was pretty crazy I got I you know I met Ivanka and Eric and the you know all the kids and everyone at the company and then I had you know talking about being on The Apprentice, and they actually decided then to only do Celebrity Apprentice anymore, so they decided not to do Regular Apprentice, and they spoke to me about a different show, which was not something that I was interested in, Trump Realty Girls, which is a whole other story, but (laughs) that's not something I wanted to be a part of. It was actually going to be shot in LA and on E! Network, um, but I don't know if it ever came to fruition. I never saw it on TV. But I didn't do that. And, um, yeah, it's too bad because I, I think, honestly, I think Apprentice was such a cool show, like, back in the day with 
Bill Rancic and, you know, the first people they had on there were just true entrepreneurs that were already successful and very business minded running around New York doing business competition. I thought that was so cool. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to do something like that or the amazing race. I would totally do the amazing race because I'm also really athletic and very competitive. So <laughs> I would love that. But anyway, it didn't work out for me and that's totally okay. Um, I ended up coming back to Vancouver where my family was and then, yeah, figuring out what I wanted to do for my next job, getting my first big client out of Chicago and yeah, the rest is kind of history from there. And what was your first time on TV? Uh, I must have been, honestly, I can't remember. Uh, oh, wait, no, I do remember. Okay, so, <laughs> which is funny, sort of a full family story. So I grew up ski racing, um, again, being from the West Coast and um, the Northwest Coast, Vancouver, Canada, um, very close to Whistler, where the 2010 Olympics were and all that. So your family typically growing up as a Canadian especially in Vancouver, most families are their ski families or, or hockey families. And my family was a ski family. My sister, my brother, my stepbrother, my stepsister, we all either raced or coached in skiing. And I probably raced the longest of my family. And um, because we had this ski background, we also, there's also a big film industry in Vancouver and television. And um, my mom knew, I think some producers or editors, I think of, you know, this group that was doing a bunch of commercials for uh, a big bank. And I think it was AIG or something. It was an American commercial and they were shooting it in Whistler. And what they, you know, they still kind of do, if you think about the banking and insurance commercials, they still do these typical cheesy commercials of like families, happy families, like living their best life and the best lifestyle because the financial freedom they have. So basically my sister brother and I were hired because we were great little skiers as kids. I think I was probably 11 at this point or 10. And um, the three of us were hired as like these really good ski kids so that we could ski with this man. And I can't remember if there was a mom or not, but like our quote unquote dad and our mom actors. And we were ski, we got, they took us all the way up to Whistler. They paid for hotels and meals. And I got like, I think I got 2,500 bucks. So this is 20 years ago. That was a lot of money for a kid to go skiing for a couple hours. And um, yeah, my whole family got to go because we were all doing it. So yeah, we did a commercial for, I think it was AIG being like living the dream life with our parents because we have all this financial freedom. So oddly enough, I'm mean, that is that was my first TV experience. It was a commercial for a bank. <laughs> I've never thought about that before, actually. My first TV experience was in finance. <laughs> and were you nervous being on TV for the first time? Honestly, I don't even think I remember, but I, I don't, probably not, because I was wearing a, a helmet and a, and goggles, like, nobody even really saw my face, so I was just, <laughs> I was just, like, skiing down the hill, I didn't even say anything, um, but in the industry, if you have, like, I usually, I did a lot of kind of extra roles that were special skills or featured extra roles, where you have maybe one or two words to say, or you have a certain ability like skiing, or I also played volleyball, so I did for volleyball sometimes, or if you're a model, you get uh, used in different TVs, TV commercials and film as a model, you get paid a special rate, you get paid more because you have a, a certain skill, it's called special abilities. So yeah, so people get paid to do, to do things like that, which I liked, you know, just another way to make money when I was young. And how did you get into finance? So when I was in um, 
in high school, I started to watch CNBC after school and get interested in like the hype of the markets. And that's one of the things that I think is really funny is the media of finance and watching CNBC and then Jim Cramer, his show called Mad Money, which started when I was in college um, and is still on the air today. I still watch it and record it. It's on every day at three o'clock Pacific, six o'clock Eastern on CNBC. And I think he's a really good teacher. And so there was all these things like I was kind of watching the medium, like, oh, all these successful people, how do they have all this money? And, and that was sort of, I just started to get interested in high school. And then in college, I had, I think it was my first year, first or second year, you know, I started watching Jim Cramer after school, writing in a little black notebook about his stock picks and about the different terminology and stuff he was teaching people about. And he's a very wild and out there personality. So I was kind of into it, even though some people find him a little too much, but I liked it. And then at the same time, I also had some guy friends that had been in high school with me um, that they had gone through business school as well. And then they had graduated. And this is probably in the first year or two of them graduating from college. And they were driving Porsches. They had penthouses. They were like doing the full on young guy bachelor thing. And just optically, they seemed to be very successful and they were like right out of school. So I asked them like, Hey, how do you guys like have such nice cars and lifestyle? And like, what are you doing? They're like, Oh, we're, we're day trading. And this is not as much of a thing anymore, but yeah, they were trading stocks during the day, investing in and out of companies. And um, they were also starting to work in the stock market as well. And I was like, wow, shit, like, how are these guys like doing all this? So I said, can you guys teach me about the stock market? So one of them in particular, like kind of took me under his wing and he was like, yeah, watch Jim Cramer every day. Listen to him. I think he's a really good teacher. He would send me some articles and things like that. So I kind of had guys that were about four or five years older than me that were a little bit of mentors. And I've always sort of been... Uh, you know, an easy fit in as a guy's girl type thing, even though, you know, I don't really look like a tomboy or dress like a tomboy, I don't think. But, you know, it's just more the in, the interest levels and, you know, business and finance and sports. And yeah, I just always got along with the guys really well and hung out with them. They would show me stuff on their computers and yeah, just that type of thing. So that's sort of what really got me into it. And then as soon as I finished college, it was actually my third year of college, I was already so into it that I did all of my courses online. My school was in Toronto. I was in Vancouver. So it's like the distance of New York to LA. And I stayed on the West Coast and did my business courses online for college university. And I got my first job during my third year in the office of a a stock market company um, with different public equities. So I could start learning. I just really wanted to get an office job and start learning. So I'd be ahead of the game when I graduated. And yeah, for sure, it it definitely ended up working out. Um, I didn't always have that much work to do. I was an office manager and junior investor relations. And so when I didn't have work to do, I was just on my computer at work doing my working on my courses. I had my textbooks open and stuff. And, you know, the guys that I worked with, it was a small office. They didn't care. They thought, you know, she has nothing better to do. She may as well do her schoolwork. And I was hustling and they really respected that. And what's funny is I can even remember like going into their office at how old would I would have been 19. And I went into their office and like, cause I saw the job posted on Craigslist or something called up for an interview, got in there. And I just told them, I'm like, listen, I have no experience in investing or 
finance. Like I'm still in school, but um, I'm I'm like taking this time because I want to get an office job. And I've been watching CNBC every day. I've read these three different books about Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch and Jim Cramer. And I'm just like really, really interested. I really want to learn. I'll do anything it takes. And I hustle. Like I literally said those things. Like, you know, sometimes you just have to call it out when you don't know something, but you want to learn. I think employers or mentors, people that you want to ask for mentorship, really respect that. And I do the same thing with young people all the time now that are looking to get into business or just want to learn for their own sake. Um, because yeah, I, I will totally respect anyone that just says, Hey, I don't really know exactly what I'm going to be doing here or how I can help you but let's work on this together and I am motivated and I won't give up and, you know, I'll find a way to know that, learn the things I need to learn and know what I need to know to make this happen. So, yeah. And what was your first investment? Stocks and in individual stocks. So I would say, yeah, that was about the same time around 19, um, when I first started investing on my own and ETFs, which is what I suggest to people now that are starting off was not such a big thing back then. So this is like 12 or 13 years ago. I'm 32 now. And, um, you know, I was just watching CNBC and CNBC every day, even still now, even though ETFs are a huge part of the market exchange traded funds, um, which is basically just to give everyone a bit of education here an exchange traded fund, an ETF, which you may or may not have heard of. Like, I don't know, Sophia, have you ever heard of an no. ETF? Just <laughs> yeah. So that's like what in my book, Young, Fun, and Financially Free, I recommend people start off with because it's super easy to understand. It's very cheap to buy them and it's easy to do it. So the way most people start their investing, that's they're self-directed. So investing, they're doing their on their own, not just their automatic contribution to their 401k through their employer program, which is a great way to invest. That's actually what I would suggest first, is most people usually have some kind of now employer match if you're working for a bigger company. So, for example, one of um, my clients right now, like this is the most typical thing, you're allowed to contribute up to four up to 6% of your income into this 401k investment plan that's sponsored by your company and they have someone that manages the investments and and you usually fill out a questionnaire or something like that to assess how risky you want to be with your investments or how conservative you want to be and then they'll hire some someone manages that 401k program for the company the company usually matches up to like mine is up to three percent of your six percent so if you contribute three percent of your earnings, they will match half of it. They'll match 1.5. But if you want to get the whole match of free money, you do the full six and they'll give you three. So that's, that's what I do. And that's what, you know, most personal finance experts suggest is to get the full match from the company you work for first, because that's free money. So you don't want to leave that on the table. And then after that, if you want to get going on your own, which is usually more beneficial because sometimes those 401k plans have quite heavy fees and you would never want to pay those kind of fees in a normal environment. But the reason why you're doing it is because you're getting free money from your company anyway. So once you max out that, whatever the maximum matching is from your 401k program with your employer, you then move on to what's called self-directed investing. So when you hear about people opening accounts with Fidelity or Robinhood or, uh, and those are just buying and selling on your own, or maybe a robo advisor like Wealthsimple or Betterment, 
Um, those are all considered self-directed investing because you're taking your own money after your company's giving it to you in your account and then you're transferring it to another account like Fidelity on your, to buy and sell stocks and ETFs on your own or to Betterment or Wealthsimple or one of the robo-advisors for them to manage it for you. So those are the two avenues that most people start investing on their own in. Either robo-advisors where it is all managed for you for quite cheaply, usually much cheaper than your 401k program with your employer or self-directed investing with, you know, any number of the accounts. Like there's Charles Schwab, there's Vanguard, there's all these different online brokerages that you can you can start working with E-Trade. Like you may have heard of some of these names just on TV. And so what people now buy a lot of is these ETS exchange traded funds. So basically it's just a basket of different stocks or securities because you can get ETFs that are for bonds, ETFs that are for all different kinds of things um, in all different kinds of areas, which is what's cool about them too. So they hold a whole bunch of these different things in one fund and then you buy the one fund. So for example, there's an ETF that has the ticker, which is the, the symbol for the stock or the funds. You'll see them on TV. It's usually three or four letters. Sometimes one letter like C is for Citigroup, which is one of the big banks and they've been around a long time. So they managed to just get the ticker symbol of C. But one of the ETFs that I have is called PETS, P-E-T-S. And it's an ETF, a fund that was created that only holds companies that are very animal friendly and invest in their pets. So they probably have like PetSmart, Petco, um, maybe some veterinarian companies, like all these different things that involve loving your pets. And they've created a fund for it. And the management fee is like less than 1%. So it's a really easy thing to just buy. And then all you have to do is you just go onto your self-directed account. Like say you have a Fidelity or Robinhood account, you log in and you just type in PETS, you type in 500 bucks or 20 shares, which is, you know, how, you know, 20 shares times however many the cost is per share of the fund. And then that's how you buy it. Like it's really easy. And most of all these online self-directed accounts now, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, Robinhood, and all the others, they have zero commissions now. So you don't have to pay anything to buy or sell stocks or exchange traded funds. And it's super, super easy. And then if you want to make it even easier, you go the robo-advisor route and you just, you know, deposit money into Wealthsimple or Betterment or one of the other robo-advisors. And just so people know, robo-advisors are buying the exact same thing. Robo-advisors, all of them, they only buy ETFs. So instead of you deciding what ETF you want to go buy, like an ETF that just covers the U.S. stock market, if you believe the U.S. stock or the U.S. economy is going to be positive in the next 20, 30, 40 years, you could just go buy an ETF that does that. But in a robo-advisor, they're doing all that for you. So you log on to the robo-advisor, you answer a little questionnaire again for them to assess your risk level, and then they'll create a portfolio of ETFs for you, and they'll charge you a little bit more to manage that for you than you would otherwise just going out and buying them on your own. But I think whether you're starting to invest on your own and you want to do it on your all on your own accord through Robinhood or self-directed investing or through a robo-advisor like Betterment, it's just a decision really of how involved you want to be in your investing. And obviously a robo-advisor, you'll pay a tiny little bit of money more in an expense fee for them to manage it, but it's really nothing to be worried about. And then, yeah, that's obviously the much more hands-off approach. 
So that's a very, you know, a long, high-level explanation of people starting to invest. And obviously, this is, for this reason, is why I wrote my book. Because you can hear all this stuff as a young person on podcasts. And even what I just said now for a lot of people is a lot of information. So sometimes, and, and it really is simple in terms of the whole scheme of things you could hear about in financial media. If you just turn on CNBC and you'd be like, holy crap, I have no idea what anyone is saying. How could I ever get into this myself? Um, sometimes it's easier to just have like one chapter in a book about it. So yeah, my investing chapter is probably a 30 minute read. There's like step-by-step instructions, suggestions of what type of account to open and where you can open it, different kinds of ETFs and the tickers for them, which is why I wrote the book, because it just makes it like in a 30-minute read that you can go back to when you actually want to open up an account somewhere. It just makes it really easy. But sometimes when you're trying to, and that's why I say it's funny about how I got into all this because of the hype around the media and the excitement of the market's up and down and they're tanking, they're soaring, they're, you know, all the words they use to make it all exciting. That's what got me into it. But now my advice to people is like, don't even look online or don't even look at CNBC or any of the other networks to see how things are going, especially daily, because you're just going to worry yourself and confuse yourself from really what the basics are that you need to know. And is now a good time to start investing? it's always a good time to start investing. So literally it always is, even if it's like the top of the market, um, you know, prior to March of this year, and now the markets are, are down a bit, they've come back up a bit. It's always a good time, especially when you're young, because the power of compounding interest and compounding your returns on your investments over like even five years of a difference between 20 and 25, between 25 and 30, five years of compounding makes more of a difference positively the earlier you start than the up and down movements of the markets ever will. So yes, like they always say that the experts, some, some of the terminology in the personal finance world is like, um, start, start young and start early, pay yourself first. So experts like, you know, you may have heard of Warren Buffett before. He's the founder of Berkshire Hathaway, one of the you know most successful investment companies in the world. He's one of the richest guys in the world. And he's very old now, but he, I think he's 90 now, Warren Buffett. Um, but, you know, a very sound mind. And he, he and everybody else always say, pay yourself first. So here, like, here's an example. You get paid every two weeks have the automatic withdrawal set up on your directly from your employer to take that 6% or, you know, whatever the amount of money that that free money match is going to be for your 401k account. Take all that money first, set that up, then set up the pay yourself first part, set up an automatic withdrawal. Once it hits your bank of America or your chase account or wherever your money from your employer goes to set up an automatic withdrawal for, $200 every paycheck, let's say, anything, $100 every paycheck, 50 bucks every paycheck to your robo-advisor account or send it to your self-directed investing, like whatever your online discount brokerage account is, where Robinhood, your Charles Schwab, whatever it is, Fidelity. Pay yourself first. And that's what that means is before you go spending all your money on anything, like even, even rent and all those things, work your budget around your investments not the other way around. So don't spend all your money on your groceries and, you know, those types of things first, 
always invest because then you have sort of a a budget for yourself that's based on what is realistic for your investing goals. And you can start small, but just do it often. And yeah, start with a $50 allocation to just start putting that money into your investment account. And then, you know, the big thing is that after that, you got to go do something with it. And it's these initial steps that really stop people. It's the procrastination and the avoidance of not doing it when you're young or like, honestly, I can tell you right now that everyone I knew when we were all 19 and I was doing this, they were like, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like everyone was like, including my parents were like, what the fuck are you doing? Like I was literally sitting in the basement, like watching Jim Cramer, CNBC, like 3 PM in the summer of college. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like writing in a little black notebook, like stock picks and terminology be like price earnings ratio look this up star 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 my dad's like like my parent my mom is a grade one teacher my dad is a mechanical engineer so people ask me that all the time they're like oh your daddy must have been a broker I'm like like guys in the business would say that and obviously be so um what's the word I'm looking for so patronizing that they would say that to me I'm like no my dad doesn't know anything about this stuff like I just had a natural interest which I think is great but all my friends were like dude what are you doing like it's the summer let's go out and I just you know had my sights set on other things and 10 years later honestly before you know it Sophia I hate to say you will be 29 (laughs) and I hope I hope you are not like a lot if not most of the young people I know what you know 19 to 29 goes by in a flash and you still haven't started and then you're like fuck why didn't I start I just missed 10 years of compounding interest Leanna's already saved up a quarter of a million dollars and I have nothing and it's just from those initial steps it's like literally you have to go to your bank you have to physically I think you do have to physically walk into your bank to set up an automatic withdrawal to your new fidelity account you signed up for online um, not necessarily. I think sometimes some of that you can do online now. It just depends on the different um, banks and stuff like that. But um, it's also kind of sometimes easier to just walk into the bank and help, you know, get them to set that up for you because you just know you did it properly and everything. It's like literally setting up, yeah, the way to fund that new account. It's people that want to do a robo-advisor because they don't want to actually manage their buying their own ETFs and stocks on their own. You know, it's going to betterment.com, going through the steps, linking your bank account to that account so you can transfer money into it. It's like literally opening the computer or walking to the bank and doing those steps that gets people to stop. And it's with anything. It's like it's the same as with exercising. It's actually getting up and walking into the gym. That's the hardest thing. It's getting there. That's the hardest. Once you're in the gym, once you're doing it, once you're on the treadmill, walking uphill or, you know, lifting the weight, starting with one set, you can keep going, but it's the initial steps that get people held up for years, which is so upsetting for me. Cause like all my friends, everybody is from the last 15 years, always saying like, Leanna, help me. I'm broke or Leanna, help me. How do I do this? And I'm like, honestly, this is the first step. Open an account. You have to open an account then you have to fund the account but waiting and waiting for I don't have time this week I don't, like this stuff doesn't take a lot of time most of these accounts now take less than 15 minutes to open they made it really easy online 
but people just procrastinate forever and then they just never do it. And it's, it gets harder and harder and harder as you get older, because you may have heard of something called lifestyle creep. As you get older, your friends also start buying nicer things. People start getting nicer apartments. Your expenses tend to go up as you get older because you have more responsibilities. You have more things you want to do. People are traveling to nicer hotels. They're not backpacking anymore, all this kind of stuff. And that's kind of where the downward spiral is a really bad thing. And, um, you know, where procrastination hurts you is not starting early. And how often do you check on your investments? I actually, you know, people would be surprised in my industry, probably even that I don't check them that often. And obviously, you know, like I say, I same thing with watching the financial media. I do not recommend that any one of us, you know, just regular people investing their own money at home checks them often either. Some people say, um, you know, most personal finance experts, including myself, would say, you know, maybe log into your account. If it's purely just for the sake of checking out the balances and where things are at rather than logging on to invest, um, you know, check them once a quarter, once a month at the most. Because even right now, like, if you checked yours last month and this month and next month, they're going to be down a lot. Like you don't want to see that. You don't want it to discourage you because even though right now they're down a lot, most people should be investing for the very long term future. And that is like five years plus. So the average recession takes 3.1 years to recover. So let's say, yes, we're in a recession right now. The economy and GDP is going down because everything is closed for COVID. But if you think in 3.1 years, things are going to be a lot better, then you really shouldn't be worrying about your investments for 3.1 years. So what's what's the point of looking at them every month? You're only going to feel shitty about investing and then you're just going to say, oh, I should have just gone on vacation instead. I'm losing money. Here's the thing, though, is this is a term, terminology for the financial world. You're not losing money. All you have in that account right now, me, myself included, I'm in the, in the red on my accounts too. It's called unrealized losses or unrealized gains. So when you look at your account and you're up a certain amount of money or a certain percent or you're down, it's unrealized because you haven't sold those investments um, yet. So you haven't actually made any money. You haven't actually lost any money. You just need to wait for the long-term future for them to get better again. And history and track record statistics of the stock markets and the economy over the last 100 years plus shows that it always goes up. So you that's why people say buy low, sell high, because you really don't want to sell when everything is scary, like right now, which means you really don't want to look at it because it is kind of scary. So yeah, maybe once a quarter, so once every three months, um, take a look at it and see how things are doing. If you're really interested at just you know monitoring the flows of the economy and and stocks look at it once you know once a month or something but the important thing is to just remember why you started investing in the first place remember that the market always goes up over the long term so looking at things like where we are now is just going to scare you and it's probably not going to be a positive thing for your investing behavior so le- less is usually more in terms of monitoring your investments and what's your favorite part of your business 
Oh, definitely. Um, like networking, meeting with people for the last five years, really, since I started my own business. And then since I started doing a lot more hosting and financial and business media myself, interviews and events and whatnot, um, I've gotten to go to like the top, like high end investment conferences with, you know, political figures and I've met Mark Cuban, Steve Harvey, Peter Diamandis. Like I've had exposure to the most incredible um, business people and investors and just amazing mentors. And I can't tell you like, Sandy, I just met Mark Cuban. Do you know who Mark Cuban is? On yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So I just met him. Honestly, it could have been like a year to the day. It was May, like second week of May last year. And standing there, like, talking to him about my book. And then he slid into my DMs that night and said, Hey, Liana, nice to meet you today. Good luck on the book, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what is happening right now? Again, it was kind of like when, you know, six years ago or whatever, when I was, I you know, going to the security desk at Trump Tower saying, I have a meeting with Mr. Trump. Like, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't care about that now. But back then, yeah, he had nothing to do with politics, and it was just about the TV show and, you know, the big real estate empire. It was kind of like with Mark Cuban, like, definitely one of those little girl finance moments that I was like, holy shit, Mark Cuban just slid into my DMs. (laughs) It was so cool. And, um, yeah, I just, I totally thrive on meeting people. And it's the same thing, like, how how I told you when I was 19 and had my first job in the stock market. And how I just pushed and pushed and pushed. I followed up, followed up, knocked on doors. Um, I've taken so many people out to lunches, coffees, um, drinks after work. I always picked up the bill no matter what age I was, no matter if it was a, you know, a man who was 50 and I was 21 meeting for a drink after work or whatever to talk about my career, talk about his business and learn from him. I would sneak away and like pay that bill. Because it means so much to people that really don't have a lot of time and they've decided to give their time to you. And, and yeah, even if it's just a $3 coffee, like when you're standing there at the checkout, it means a lot for you to say, no, I insist, you know, I insist on paying. Thank you so much for your time. And then following up with a thank you email, like those, those guys that ended up letting me work for them when I sat in that office in front of their faces and their desks being like, I have no idea like what an equity is or a bond is, but I would really like to work in this office because I watch CNBC every day. Like those guys, I still keep in touch with them. I still meet up and email the brokers that I used to work with, with that company 13 years ago. And they now, some of them, they refer me to media interviews. They refer me to companies that need a marketing consultant. Like, these relationships never go away. So absolutely the relationships and mentors and people I've learned from throughout all of my experiences is my favorite part about what I do. And what is something that you're obsessed with right now? It could be anything. Um, definitely getting back to meeting people. I am so sad that it's called the SALT Conference. And it's <laughs> every year in May in Vegas. And it's the top hedge fund managers, billionaires of the world. Like it is the best speakers and just, and I'm usually, I'm, I'm usually in there. Um, it's by invitation only, but I wiggled my way in there years ago and somehow keep getting invited back. And, um, I'm usually on the media side. So they also give me a free pass, which is amazing. 
because it's like a $10,000 conference. (laughs) I get in there and it's like my, I feel a fire in my gut and I'm just so excited. So anyway, I'm really missing that conference, which would have been about now. It's canceled this year, obviously. But um, yeah, I just miss, yeah, I miss meeting with people. I haven't seen anyone in two months. I think I'm on day 61 right now of just myself and my dog and the apartment in New York and out in Montauk. So no family, no friends. So yeah, I like people, Sophia. I like people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And what were your twenties like? Um, I would say my, my late teens and early twenties were wild. Um, and then, then at the same time, I also say I was 40 since I was 14, um, because I've usually been a little bit ahead of the game as you might be able to tell in terms of investing and some, some areas of maturity, but, um, or trying to be mature. But I also say, you know, I'm the first person even now to dance on the table at a party. Like I am full on work hard, play hard personality and, um. I'm also really healthy and athletic and, and that really carried on from my training as a young adult, um, being very competitively involved in ski racing and training four days a week and in a special program for that in school, graduating high school early, graduated college early. Like I just always hustled, man. Like I was such a hustler. I still am, but in my twenties, like I truly was Googling CEO names on Google of anything I might be interested in. Like if you're interested in yoga, go Google um, the founder of Y7, the infrared yoga studios. Like she, she was just on the cover of, um, Oh, I was reading it on the plane. Her name Sophia something. But anyway, like if you're interested in, yeah, if you're interested in yoga, Google the founder of Y7, Google the founder of core power yoga, you know, like look these people up, figure out what their email addresses, send them an earnest, honest, motivated email and say a little something about yourself and you'd be surprised you know like one out of five times i'd say you might get a response if you follow up three times and hey you might get an internship from it you might get a job from it like it's hustling like that in your 20s that gets you to be where you're at or where you want to be in any industry in your 30s or even in your late 20s like i was living a really boss life by the time I was like 23 people were like how the hell are you like flying around the world doing all this stuff driving this nice car I'm like listen I'm hustling like get off your ass go send some emails like make some phone calls follow up follow up follow up knock on doors knock on doors knock on doors and yeah it's just 20s is about hustling to get to where you want to be in your 30s I think and Hopefully it's all, you know, just going to keep growing from here. And what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Um, so, yeah, let's talk about mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't always just such a smart little boss, but I tried to be. So on the same, you know, same kind of lines as that, though, uh, I used to work, I still worry about things sometimes, but... I went through some significant hardships in the end of my 20s and in the beginning of my 30s. Um, And that now, you know, in the last couple of years, going through grief and the loss of um, a significant other very suddenly, I now don't worry about things as much because I've sort of 
I don't know if you could say seeing the light, but like just been through something that was so, so, so difficult and traumatic that I realized that all the things I used to worry about in terms of my career or my work or worried I'm going to get in trouble at work, like I've never been fired, but like, you know, even if you were fired or something, like just worrying about that stuff, um, keeping me up at night. And, you know, my dad, actually, he's kind of the same way. We talked about it a lot. Um, I went through a big you know, scary kind of lawsuit situation of over a million dollars about three years ago. And I was losing my mind. I think, yeah, I was 20, 28 or 29. And my dad was just like, you have to calm down. And I actually went to a business psychologist for it because I'm such a worry wart. And yeah, he, you know, my dad's an entrepreneur in engineering and he would say the same thing Like he's such a worry wart. He can't sleep at night because he's worried about what emails are going to be in his inbox at 9am. And I used to be the same way. And, you know, I think you can't fully let go of things like that, you know, especially when you're passionate about something you're doing, but I really have learned to not worry as much because they're, I think in some, you know, whatever your faith is or, you know, the universe or energy or God, whatever you believe in, I think that there is a plan or a path for all of us and things do happen for a reason and things do work out. Um, that's not to say you can just sit on the couch all day and the money's going to come, the job and the career and the love is going to come. I think you still have to obviously put work into it and hustle, but worrying about things when you're already doing the best you can and you know that and you know something is out of your control, especially when something is out of your control, you can only do your best and you really have to take the rest of the time to implement some of you know the big wellness things that are so prevalent now, like meditation, being mindful, self-care, relaxation, exercise, you know, calling a friend, talking to a professional, therapy. I've been in therapy so many times for different reasons and, you know, like I say, business reasons and personal reasons and um, grief, mental illness, like there is no shame in getting help for anything. So that's what I would say, you know, not to, I wouldn't worry as much about the ups and downs, the roller, the roller coaster of life, because I think, yeah, as I got older, when shit really hit the fan, then I was like, okay, this is the meaning of life. And I really regret all those nights that I couldn't sleep because of things that were resolved within a month later or six months later. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause there are things in life that are unresolvable, like, like death and like illness. And, um, and yeah, you know, unfortunately for me, it really took something major in my life, um, a tragic event in my life to realize that, but I'm absolutely a hundred percent better for it and very grateful for the experience in many ways. And are there any questions that you wish I would have asked you? Um, I don't know. No, I think this has been really good. I, I feel like I always talk so much on podcasts. <laughs> no, I love it. I love when people talk a lot. I love hearing everything. But a lot of the things that I do talk about in terms of the investing stuff, it's like, you really do like kind of have to explain because most people in the world don't know anything about investing or like how to start. And it can be complicated, but, um, and that's why honestly, when I decided to write a book when I was 29, it was like the summer before my 30th birthday. And I just kind of thought like, 
you know, I've been, you know, working in finance for so long. Everyone's always like, oh, you know, how do you have this great life? How do you blah, blah, blah. And, you know, how do you do all this stuff? And honestly, it's not a miracle. It's not a some crazy exhaustive plan. Like I just started, like I just opened the accounts. I, when I was young, I kind of just randomly bought stock picks. I would hear of on the TV or like, you know, and I don't recommend that to anyone now. You should know more about what you're doing. But at the same time, it's kind of important to just get started and just get excited in what you're doing and what you're investing in. Like, that's why I was saying, I think ETFs are cool. Like, they say this thing, how there's an ETF for that. There's an ETF literally for everything. There's 2,200 ETFs, these different funds now. And all the different, um, there's cybersecurity ones, there's e-gaming ones, there's healthcare ones, there's robo, uh, there's like robo ones um, for robotics and artificial intelligence. And they only invest in robotics and artificial intelligence. There's millennial funds. I think there's like five different funds that are like millennial companies and they have a lot of the like Amazon, Facebook in them, that kind of thing. So that I think that makes it fun and that makes it kind of cool. And, you know, really just getting started with investing is what gets you excited about it. And, and yeah, sometimes that takes some explanations. That's why I wrote the book and, you know, don't, didn't care about making money off it. That's why I chose all the proceeds to go to charity. Cause I thought, you know, I, I don't need the money from this book and the money will be a lot better served to people in developing countries that will never, ever have the opportunities that we do here in North America growing up and living here in terms of our financial opportunities and our career opportunities. So, yeah, I think honestly, a book, my book or any book that's like a simple, easy read. I think most of my friends have read the book in like three or four hours and, um, you know, it kind of gives you the one-on-ones and everything from like spending, saving, investing to like accountants and lawyers and insurance, like things you might have to deal with in your twenties. And that's why I wrote it. Cause as you may have heard, like I went through some crazy shit in my twenties. <laughs> I took And uh, the reason why I think that too, is cause I took a lot of risks. I took risks in my career. I took risks in business and uh, I got sued. I got like death. There was, you know, <sighs> A lot of crazy situations. So I hope other people can learn from some of my stories in the book and, you know, stories from people like Steve Harvey that I've met and some other people in the book as well. And I try to integrate those things to just make it a lot easier of a read. Some of my friends have said it's like a Netflix version of my life in a book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And other people's eyes because I include stories from other people's successes and failures as well and learning from those failures. So honestly, I would really encourage um, anyone, but especially people in their 20s to read a book like that, just get the basic information and then just start, start as soon as you can with 10 bucks, 50 bucks, like just get started. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course, thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Where can people connect with you? So um, yeah, absolutely. If you look up Young, Fun and Financially Free, on Amazon, you'll see it there, um, Amazon Worldwide, or it's in 40,000 bookstores as well, uh, but probably easiest to get through Amazon, and um, Instagram is sort of where I'm at home mostly, Leanna, L-E-A-N-N-A underscore Hawk, because since I was 19 working at that firm, the guys called me the little Hawk in the business, <laughs> <laughs> my last name's Hawkins, so yeah, H-A-W-K on Instagram. And uh, yeah, Leanna underscore Hawk or Leanna Hawkins official on Facebook. Awesome. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.